I was tagged by Noah at everyone who reads it must converse on the best chapter tag where I'm supposed to answer the prompt what is the best chapter in all of literature. Uh, Noah was tagged by Rick Harsh um, and Rick Harsh's answer to the question uh, was that it's an easy question because the answer is obviously the Lee Shore in Moby Dick. And uh, I think, I actually think Rick, Rick Harsh is like totally correct about that. I think the Lee Shore in Moby Dick, that short little chapter, Rick Harsh does a reading of it, I'll link, I'll link to it below, um, is probably just hands down the best chapter in all of literature. Uh, it's, it's a short chapter, it's, and it's just like, uh, it's hard to explain, but like it, it jumps out of the book, Moby Dick. Um, it, it, it captures the fact that Melville was doing so much more than just telling a story of a whaling voyage. Um, he's grappling with like the biggest questions and the biggest themes, and he does it with like such power and audacity. So excluding the Lee Shore, what other candidates are there? So I was thinking through, you know, my favorite books, the best books, and the best chapters in the best books. Uh, so for example, there's a chapter uh, towards the beginning of Don Quixote, um, when the friends of Don Quixote are, are going through his library, because Don Quixote has gone mad. He's gone mad by reading too many uh, books of, about knights of sh and chivalry. And so they go through his library, and they're trying to uh, throw out all these corrupting books and burn them and like consign them to the flames. And so there's this like amazing chapter where they're going through all the books in his library and they're like passing judgment. Like, what do we think of this book? You know, um, is, it, is it like absurd and obscene and crazy and like needs to be thrown out the window and burned? Or is it like, is there someone might in the, in the, in the party, people might say, oh, actually I can find some, some merit, some reason to, to spare that book. And so um, it's a hilarious chapter uh, in the context of a hilarious book about, um, it's like an absurd story uh, and in the story, they're like analyzing all these like absurd books uh, and passing judgment on them. And it's, uh, it speaks to the, the theme, the central theme, I think, of the book, um, which for me, the way I read Don Quixote is like a book about books, a book about, a book about literature. Um, that's really a wonderful uh, chapter. What other candidates are there? Um, I, I think there's, uh, I can think of probably about two candidates uh, in Lolita, uh, for example. So, so a very short chapter in Lolita, which, which jumps out is classic Nabokov. It's classic Nabokov um, breaking that sort of fourth wall of the story. Uh, where the, the narrator sort of pierces through uh, the page. And uh, this is, I think, uh, book one, chapter uh, 26, a very short little chapter. Um, and he sort of, again, this is like a sort of interjection into the narrative of the story of Alita. He says, The daily headache in the opaque air of this tumult jail is disturbing, but I must persevere. Have written more than 100 pages and not got anywhere yet. My calendar is getting confused. That must have been around August 15th, 1947. Don't think I can go on. Heart, head, everything. Lolita, 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 Lolita. Repeat till the page is full. Printer. Uh, end quote. That's the whole chapter. And so again, it's the narrator um, uh, sort of interjecting himself into the story. The writer, the person who's sitting in jail. Uh, the author, of course, Humber Humbert, is in, in prison as he writes a prison memoir. And so we see him now in his prison cell uh, writing and struggling with the process of writing. There's another chapter in here where Humbert Humbert describes what he would do if he was uh, given permission to paint the hotel, The Enchanted uh, Hunters. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to read it. It's, it's wild. It's, it's crazy. But it's also an example of Nabokov. Um, at his best and, and most audacious and uh, insane. Uh, moving on, I think a lot of the best chapters in all of literature 
uh, could be said to come from uh, the brothers Karamazov. Uh, from, from what I've read, uh, a chapter which is widely considered to be the greatest novel of literature is the Grand Inquisitor chapter uh, in the brothers Karamazov, where Ivan writes a story about uh, Jesus coming back from the dead and uh, visiting sort of a, a town during the Inquisition and uh, Jesus being put to death and burned at the stake by the church, uh, which of course is a classic Ivan Karamazov style indictment of uh, Christianity as is practiced by the, by the church. Um, another candidate for greatest chapter in all literature, which is found in this book, uh, for, for me at least, is um, Ivan and the Devil, uh, Ivan's Nightmare chapter. Uh, it's such an incredible, incredible chapter where Ivan, who's struggling with guilt over the death of his father uh, and, and struggling with, with questions of morality, his own moral compass, uh, what, what, what is ethical, what place does religion play in, in the questions of, of ethics. And he has like a fever and he hallucinates the devil in the form of like this uh, business, like this, this former aristocrat who's like no longer wealthy. He's like a man sort of embarrassed, uh, an embarrassed former, former landowner. Um, and who appears to Ivan and just like torments him um, by discussing philosophy with him and, and reading back some of Ivan's ideas. Uh, such a, a, a complex layered chapter, like full of tension. And, and the devil is just such an incredible character. Um, the, the devil imagines, uh, you know, describes flying through space uh, from all, you know, from, from all the different planets. And he like talks uh, about, you know, the physics of that. It's just like a wild, crazy chapter. Anyway, I have a video about that chapter uh, on my channel. Within Moby Dick, I think there are some other candidates for the best chapter in all of literature, although none of them are as short as the Lee Shore. None of them are as like uh, sharp and as punchy. Um, you know, for example, uh, the chapter "The Triworks" in Moby Dick has like this this hellish scene of like uh, the the ship at night under the the flames of the Triworks, these pots that are burning oil. Here lounged the watch, their tawny features now all begrimed with smoke and sweat, their matted beards and the contrasting barbaric brilliancy of their teeth. All these were strangely revealed in the capricious emblazonings of the works. As they narrated to each other their unholy adventures, their tales of terror told in words of mirth, as their uncivilized laughter forked upwards out of them like the flames from the furnace, as to and fro in their front the harpooners wildly gesticulated with their huge pronged forks and dippers as the wind howled on and the sea leaped and the ship groaned and dived and yet steadfastly shot her red hell further and further into the blackness of the sea and the night and scornfully champed the white bone in her mouth and viciously spat round her on all sides. Then the rushing Pequot, freighted with savages and laden with fire, and burning a corpse and plunging into the blackness of darkness, seemed the material counterpart of her monomaniac commander's soul. Another candidate in Moby Dick is the chapter uh, A Bower in the Arsicides. And it describes uh, a visit he, he took to an island where he saw uh, the carcass of a whale. And he describes uh, this, this experience. This is a shorter chapter, but still uh, not, not that short. He describes, It was a wondrous sight. The wood was green as mosses of the icy glen. The trees stood high and haughty, feeling their living sap. The industrious earth beneath was a weaver's loom 
with a gorgeous carpet on it, whereof the ground vine tendrils formed the warp and woof, and the living flowers, the figures, all the trees with their laden branches, all the shrubs and ferns and grasses, the message-carrying air, all these unceasingly were active. Through the lacings of the leaves, the great sun seemed a flying shuttle, weaving the unwearied verdure. O oh, busy weaver, unseen weaver, pause one word. Whither flows the fabric? What palace may it deck? Wherefore are these ceaseless toiling? Speak, weaver. So basically the image here is that he's standing under the leaves, and the leaves are, are sort of um, uh, swaying under the sun, and the sun and the shadows are like uh, flitting to and fro. And he brings to mind the image of a, of a loom, uh, a shuttle going back and forth on a loom, which is weaving this, this pattern, this cloth. And he says, like, the world is the cloth that God is weaving. And that's, that's the metaphor here. He says, nay, the shuttle flies, the figures float forth, the figures float from forth the loom, the freshet rushing carpet forever slides away, the weaver God, he weaves, and by that weaving is he deafened, and he hears no mortal voice, and by that humming we too who look on the loom are deafened, and only when we escape it shall we hear the thousand voices that speak through it. And so that's a powerful, of course, image and, and beautiful language, and it's a central theme, the, the, the motif of the, the loom comes up again and again in uh, Moby Dick. It's a metaphor he constantly returns to. There's a scene where uh, Ishmael and Quay Quag are, are, are on the loom together. They're, they're uh, working a loom. And this idea of the world is God's loom constantly being uh, constructed uh, from the image of the leaves and the sun. My, my answer though, so, so finally my answer to the prompt. What is my favorite chapter, uh, which is at, not the Lee Shore and not a chapter that I've done a video on, and not in Lolita. So uh, I came up with a chapter in Crime and Punishment, of course, also by Dostoevsky. And this is the chapter where Raskolnikov is going through a lot of turmoil, similar you know, to the, to the high drama, the high stakes scene of Ivan and the Devil. Um, Raskolnikov is uh, being eaten up inside by guilt, of course, in Raskolnikov's case, he literally is a murderer, um, and he has that guilt of, of the murder. He, he, he met this girl, Sonia, uh, who was a prostitute. Uh, he gave her some money uh, for the death of her father, uh, who died and you know, got hit by a carriage, and he died in extreme poverty. He was a drunkard, and now Sonia's like, stepmother is abusive, and she's crazy, and she's like gone mad from... Uh, I think she has consumption, and also she's just like gone mad from poverty. And there's like all these other siblings, and Sonia, and these siblings are now orphans. Um, and uh, in in this sense of you know total turmoil, um, Raskolnikov is is debating whether or not to turn himself in for the murder. Uh, he visits Sonia in her apartment um, at night, and this is an incredibly intense and dramatic scene. And it describes him like sort of feeling his way in the dark. Of course, Sonia is like so poor. She lives in a very, very, very poor circumstance. They have no money. And her, her life is just miserable, of course. I mean, both them, both are the protagonists, Raskolnikov and Sonia, are extremely poor. Uh, they have nothing. And Sonia is deeply religious. And, and she gets her strength from religion and from her faith. And uh, Raskolnikov, we get the sense, is uh, atheistic. And he sort of in this chapter sort of taunts 
Sonia a little bit for her belief and says, you know, what if there is no God? You know, because Sonia is always saying God will provide for the orphans. God, you know, God is going to help uh, the, the fact that, you know, my younger siblings are, are left with uh, parents and the mother's, the mother's dying and they have nothing in the world. So don't worry, you know, God, God will provide is sort of her mantra. Roskonikov says, so you pray very much to God, Sonia, he asked her. Sonia was silent. He stood beside her waiting for an answer. And what would I be without God, she whispered quickly energetically, glancing at him fleetingly with suddenly flashing eyes. So that's it, he thought. And what does God do for you in return, he asked, testing her further. Sonia was silent for a long time, as if she was unable to answer. Her frail chest was all heaving with agitation. Be still, don't ask, you're not worthy, she cried suddenly, looking at him sternly and wrathfully. We skip a bit. They talk about Lizaveta, who is the woman that uh, Raskolnikov killed with an axe. And uh, Sonia knew Lizaveta. At this point, he asked Sonia to get her Bible and open up the, the part of the Bible that describes the raising of Lazarus. And he demands that she reads from, uh, from, the, from the Bible. And she's resistant. Sonia's resistant, resistant to reading. She says, what is it to you? You don't believe, do you? She whispered softly, somehow short of breath. Read, I want you to, he insisted. You read... You read to Lizaveta, which means read to the dead woman, he's saying, the woman that uh, Raskolnikov knows that he killed. Sonia doesn't know this. Sonia opened the book and found the place. Her hands were trembling. She did not have voice enough. She tried twice to begin, but kept failing to get the first syllable out. And then she reads, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany. And this, and this chapter goes on with Sonia reading... And Raskolnikov interjecting and reflecting, understanding. And uh, the, the story climaxes, of course, in the resurrection of Jesus. And as they're sort of building up to this climax, uh, they're, both of them are, are, are getting you know, swept up in the power of the words, in the power of the narrative, which Sonia is reading. So the end of this uh, long section here. She read loudly and rapturously, trembling and growing cold as if she were seeing it with her own eyes. She's reading now, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Beyond that, she did not and could not read. She closed the book and got up quickly from her chair. That's all about the raising of Lazarus, she whispered abruptly and sternly and stood motionless, turned away, not daring, and as if ashamed to raise, to raise her eyes to him. Her feverish trembling continued. The candle end had long been burning out in the bent candlestick, casting a dim light in this destitute room upon the murderer and the harlot, strangely come together over the reading of the eternal book. At this point, he intimates to her, that there's a big trauma going on in his life, that he's leaving his family. Um, of course, he knows that he's probably going to end up in jail. He's, he's going to confess soon uh, to the murder, probably. Uh, Sonia doesn't understand what he's intimating at, and he ends by saying that tomorrow I'll tell you who killed Lizaveta. And I guess the reason I love that chapter is because it's a chapter in a great work of literature which is about the power of literature, the power of books. In it, the characters in the book read from a book and they're affected by the book and it becomes sort of the soundtrack in a way to their own 
trauma and their own pain and their own struggles. And it captures, I think, in the most uh, powerful way, uh, the way that, that books and literature is powerful and transformative. 